If someone had told me five days ago that losing my phone would literally turn my life upside down and send me back to the Stone Ages, I would have laughed at it. That was before I slept on a fire escape last night. Never say never, feisty kittens. She's smart, sassy, sassy, and a little, a little badassy. Straight from the hip with Courtney Jones. Tune in. Tune in. I am your host, Courtney Jones, and you are listening to Straight From The Hit with Courtney. Welcome to today's podcast, and I've got a short but simple and sweet episode for you today. You know, I'm not one to, uh, I laugh and joke, haha, but I don't play when it comes to certain subjects, and there's certain topics that even though they're sensitive, I'm definitely going to poke the scab at a little bit and pull back the surface, see what's going on. And this week's episode, Feisty Kittens, things got a little Harry. I got a glimpse into what's really real with Denver's homeless and found a way to effortlessly disappear in the midst of a busy city. I discovered the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction and I've asked the existential question and tried to answer it this week. Can man or woman in this case live without communication? Tune in to this week's ad-free episode to find out how my stolen cell phone sent me down a rabbit hole this week that I'm still climbing out of. Again, I'm Courtney, and you're listening to Straight From The Hip with Courtney Podcast. Tune in. If someone had told me five days ago that losing my phone would literally turn my entire life upside down and send me back to the Stone Ages, I would have laughed. That was before I slept on a fire escape last night. Last week, I had my telephone snatched while I was in a 7-Eleven attempting to load my card to book an Airbnb. Apparently, the young man heard me uh, loading my card, and as soon as they gave me the receipt saying the money was on the card, my phone was snatched, and the person took off running. Um, In the ensuing chaos, my iMac was also stolen. Um, because I was kind of left in the park um, without and with you don't really realize without your telephone you were cut off from the entire world there's no apps uh, that allow you to call for help you don't have anybody's phone numbers unless you write them down someplace else and they probably aren't with you when you lose your phone so there's no way to call for help unless you have numbers memorized um, in this situation, my phone was stolen, so the first thing I did was have uh, get my cards turned off, but it was a little too late. That person went directly to my bank account um, apps, so they were able to use apps that I was not able to. Um, I was not able to call anyone, call a lift, call for help. I was not able to even book an Airbnb, so I ended up sleeping in the park that night. And that's where, sleeping in the park, my iMac was also stolen. 
leaving me completely in the Stone Age without even a way to contact the bank because most of the websites, of, unfortunately, that my apps are connected to do not have live chat on the website. So I have walked around in a sub-existence for the past week without a telephone, without any way to communicate. I did not realize how much of my life was tied up in the phone. And I'm one of those people who doesn't use my phone that often. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a texter. I, most of the phone numbers in my phone contacts are recruiters. So it really left me um, for a loop. I have absolutely no way to get in touch with anyone. I have adult sons who live out of state who I have no way even, how, I have no way to call them. And if you are one of those people walking around with one of those powerful electronic devices in your pocket, ask yourself, how many times has someone come up to you and asked to use your phone and you told them yes? My bank suggested when I was unable to get into my account the other day, they suggested that I find someone to let me use their telephone, um, install the bank app on the phone, and then use that um, app to uh, reset the password on my account and, um, get, and, and reset it with a code. Find me a person that would allow you to do that on your phone, because I didn't, and it's been almost five days. So I have been in a limbo. It's been very, very scary. And I had someone last night, and I'm trying to keep my sense of humor about all of this when it comes to sleeping in parks and sleeping on fire escapes. But I had someone last night who I don't even know if it was a compliment or not, but I had a, a couple someone because you'll find when you're out here like wandering around you'll find the most interesting things that people will give you as resources i have not been able to get money to get on the bus to try and get any place else but i have had people offer me um all sorts of things hard seltzers and cigarettes and i've gotten all these extra what i've come to realize are resources when it comes to being outside. So I did not have a way to use tel the telephone. Um, I did not have a way to find out um, what time the bus came, where I catch it at, or even how much the bus cost because I do not have access to my RTD Denver rail app. So I do not even have access to the bus tickets that I have already purchased and I'm just kind of stuck outside. I, again, um, I had someone last night, I was actually given like a couple of hard seltzers yesterday, um, a resource. Um, I don't actually drink. So I was able to offer those two seltzers last night to a couple who, and I'm not sure even if it's a compliment or not, but they, the young lady, they did take the seltzers, but the young lady laughed at me. She called me bougie and said that I had no idea how to be homeless. I don't. And in a country as wealthy as the U.S., and in a state like Colorado, where we have billions of dollars in marijuana money, uh, the, the, the new gold rush, I don't understand how anybody should be expected to know how to be homeless when there's more than enough. So I've been kind of, I, I, my eyes have been open to an entirely different way of existence. And I've been really disheartened and, and, and I've been very disheartened to see how 
in this sub-existence, people do not want to see you. People will come out of the store, they will give to charities, they will give to the little, a guy standing there with the red bucket that's asking for change, but for a an actual living, breathing person needing help, standing in front of the store asking for a dollar, people will turn their head. They automatically assume that you're, um, if you're homeless, that that must connotate that you're, that you're a drug addict or you're an alcoholic. I'm neither. And it has not changed the treatment that I've gotten from people who, if I had seen them last week when I was leaving out of my apartment, would have greeted me with a hello, would have smiled as I smiled at their dog going to the dog park. But today, standing here with my backpack, I am invisible. So not only has my eyes been open, but I want to help open up the eyes of people who believe that we are doing all we can for the homeless. For We're seeing all over the country these tent cities that are springing up. And whether it's Oregon, whether it's Washington, whether it's Denver, whether it's San Francisco, there is a serious problem here. And it's not going to go away by people just pretending like they don't see it. My local congresswoman, Diana DeGette, has been fighting really hard to do what she can here in the local area here in Denver to increase funding for homeless and for the unhoused. And what I see here in Colorado is the focus is not on getting people into their own homes or getting into an apartment with a roof over their head. The focus seems to be on lining the pockets of nonprofits who are able to disperse as they see fit to the, like we have over a half a million homeless people in the state of Colorado right now. And they're saying that we do not have the housing to um, put these people in, but at the same time, we are bragging about how the average home price in Colorado is half a million dollars. The cost of living has gone up just in a, in a ridiculous way. And, and I'm out here and as I'm talking to people, as I'm observing just what is going on, I see that a big part of the problem is not throwing more money at um, nonprofits, um, but I think that a big part of the problem is that these people are being shut out of just day-to-day -day life. And there, there's a lot of different reasons or factors that have contributed to that. And I know in Colorado, we had a huge influx of people who moved in, coming to strike it rich in the weed industry, and getting here and being really disappointed at the high cost of living, at the how different Colorado is from places that they come from. But at the same time, we also, that gold rush has produced an incredible surplus over the past decade um, that has uh, supposed to be ear for housing, for uh, parks, for um, for schools, and it's like, and that money is not. We're, I'm not sure how it's dispersed, but it's not being dispersed in a way that is helping the people that need it the most. In my particular instance, I um, kind of even before this started, had an incident just last month, and I've been very vocal about it online, but I um, was trying to rent an apartment where um, it, it, I'm not
exactly sure still what happened, but they, I paid a deposit, I signed a lease, and then when I went to go get my keys two weeks later, I was told that the apartment complex had changed their mind. During that interim, because I had um, entered into an agreement with my previous apartment that I would be moving out, my not being able to pick up my keys resulted in an eviction from the apartment that I was still in. I have been shocked and dismayed to find out that that eviction, even though it was it was not for a non-payment of rent or anything like that, but that eviction is now guaranteed that I will not get a roof over my head in the metro area in the city of Denver. I have been told repeatedly over the past month that the one thing that would disqualify me from getting approved for an apartment here in Denver is an eviction. I could have a criminal record. I could be a rapist, I could be a murderer, and they would be willing to take into consideration the circumstances surrounding that conviction, end quote. But with an eviction, it's an automatic denial. So if you have someone that has fallen on hard times, over the last three years, we went through COVID. And in Colorado, we were shut down. A great part of the city, um, I worked remotely for close to two years, a great part of our city was shut down because of COVID. People could not work, people died. I lost my mother in January. And it's like, but even with all of that, people fell on hard times. And there might've been people who could not afford to take care of themselves, their families, and pay rent. And for whatever situation, for whatever reason, those people ended up with an eviction. And the city of Denver, the state of Colorado, has made no move. They are constantly having um, conferences and meetings to decide how money should be dispersed to nonprofits that work with the but there have been no solutions offered in a way that makes uh, property management or developers responsible for coming in, and especially in a lot of these neighborhoods where you have people who are, the entire neighborhood is people who have had evictions, maybe they've had criminal records, maybe it's lower income, and you're seeing these property managers come in and take over these properties, and the first thing they do is start pushing out the, and displacing the people who currently live in those neighborhoods with these outrageous um, demands for rental where it's a, you are required three times the amount of the rent on your pay stub in order to qualify even for an apartment even though our our cost of living is way beyond that they say that um, in order in the state of Colorado in the metro area in order to live a, for a single to live comfortably in the state of Colorado, they would need to make at least $20 an hour. And so in my situation, I was, that was fine and I was doing that. Um, and then, but things change. And so you have a great deal of the population who is not making that $20 an hour, or you have apartment complexes that are coming into those neighborhoods where they're making 20 an hour and they're requiring that you make 24 an hour in order to qualify for that apartment. They are saying no uh, eviction. If they're saying that there's a lot of, um, like stipulations that are automatic denials for getting an apartment. And so right now we have more people 
even when I was calling around to these different apartments over this past month and trying to find a place, I am seeing apartments with huge amounts of inventory that are just empty. And they're willing to allow those apartments to be empty rather than to rent to the people that are have been displaced in those neighborhoods where those property managers are taken over. But everyone turns their head and pretends like they don't see the tent cities. They turn their head and pretend like they don't see people that are struggling to make it just day to day. And we look for faults and we say, well, they must be on drugs or they must be alcoholics. But what about people like me? What about people like me who got laid off their job because they were trying to move into a new apartment and just had no other way but to take off without paid time off accrued? What happens to people who fall between the cracks? And then the longer they stay between those cracks, the harder it is to climb back up onto the sidewalk. When you are, as I've realized just in the past couple of days, with having just my backpack and my laptop, I cannot go to a day job because I have nowhere to leave my stuff. And for every day that I'm unable to go to a job, for every day that I have to be outside, I am less and less able to be presentable to go to an interview. I'm less and less able to go to multiple interviews for an entry-level job um, in order to get hired because I don't have anywhere to keep my stuff. And it's very difficult, um, as I've seen here in Denver, and I don't know about other cities, but what I do see is that Denver has become a very cold and very cruel city when it comes to people that we look at as unhoused. The number of um, stores that have their outlets covered over so that you cannot charge your devices, even if you're a paying customer. The number of stores that have the bathrooms that are blocked. The number, and here in Denver, we are very proud of our lush green parks. We have parks in every neighborhood in Denver, and we have multiple parks in some neighborhoods with lush green grass. And as I've noticed over the past couple of days, a lot of, even in a drought, our lush green lawns on our parks are maintained because at night, the city keeps the sprinklers on, again, in a drought, so that to deter the homeless from sleeping in the soft grass. They would prefer people on the sidewalk wrapped in blankets or newspapers as opposed to sleeping in the grass in the parks that our taxes pay for. And it's like I've just been amazed. My mouth has been open for a great deal of the last couple of days and just how casually cruel we have become as a city and as a nation. And when we look at things like governors that are shipping migrants across the country um, to prove a point, not because they give a damn about the migrants, but to prove a point to the other side. And it makes you wonder, what is the point that's being proved in cities like Denver, like in Seattle, like in San Francisco? What is the point that we're trying to prove that we say in a land of plenty that so many deserve to go without? Because in the city of Denver, one eviction means that you no longer qualify to have a roof over your head. And that doesn't matter if you make the salary, if you make three times the amount of the rent, if you have a job and you're gainfully employed. It does not matter if, like me, you are a native of the state. I've been here my entire life, 52 years. And I have been told after 52 years that the one eviction means that I am no longer entitled to have a roof over my head 
indefinitely. And again, like Diana DeGette, um, my local congressman, has, a congresswoman, has pushed very hard to get money. I believe she was actually earmarked $4 million for uh, to help the unhoused in the metro area. She actually asked for $5 million, and it was bargained down to four because they didn't want to give her that much. But that money is being earmarked for nonprofits. Uh, one of the – I was really surprised to read in our local um, weekly news magazine, the Denver Westward, um, I was really surprised to read an article that they had called In Trouble that was highlighting a story here locally where uh, the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, a nonprofit that works with the uh, homeless and the unhoused here locally, they um, had basically purchased or they were leasing out a hotel um, close to downtown where they were housing people during COVID, people, families that did not have um, housing, people who had COVID or very ill but were already unhoused. So they were able to lease a couple of these hotels and the lease was actually up yesterday on the 16th of September uh, for this particular hotel, and they were trying to scramble to figure out where they were going to put these people. And I was really, really surprised to see in the article that the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, itself a nonprofit, um, owns a portfolio of properties at, um, valued at close to $200 million. And it says they have like about 4,500 um, um, units that are available like for uh, to rent or to um, house the unhoused or the homeless here locally. And that's just one nonprofit. So when you're giving money to a nonprofit, it's not trickling down to the homeless. It's trickling to the nonprofit, to staffing, to other things that is going on. And then some of that makes it to the, uh, the actual unhoused or homeless population. And I say that, and when I say that, I get people that get very upset when I say that and when I say that about nonprofits and I'm not in any way trying to knock nonprofits and I'm sure that the help that they do give is appreciated but if you have never been a guest guest at, at one of those um, units or housing where those uh, where those unhoused people are placed then you can't really argue with about what the situation is and I don't mean that you've been a guest of the facility they knew you were coming everything was cleaned up before you got there and they met you in a row outside so you could come cut a ribbon or something I'm talking about if you have not stood in line at five o'clock hoping that your name would be that would be called so that you could get a bed for the night if you have not shuffled through the line to get a bowl to get food and then tried to wonder how you're going to sleep all night with one eye open so that the you're sleeping on with your bags underneath that something is not snatched in the middle of the night if you have not experienced those circumstances then you do not know of which you speak and there should be a sense of humbleness and a sense of respect for those that do for those that have experienced that and for those who are trying to live through that 
and so again I was very surprised to see just the amount the the properties uh, that this particular just one nonprofit actually lays claim to and even with that number of units again almost like 4,500 units there still is not enough to help people and at any given night we have that many people on the streets I've been really dismayed to just the number of young people that I talked to out here the number of young people who I don't know maybe came here for the gold rush I don't know some just thought Denver would be a good place to be and I admit I meet a lot of people out here who didn't have a plan when they came and so that had kind of was at a disadvantage for them but there are also those who came who were working who had an apartment COVID turned a lot of things upside down and if you were one of those who were fortunate enough to not be um, upset or, 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 or thrown off by the chaos that was Corona apocalypse, then they're very, very grateful. It's like because they're before the grace of God. Like, you know, it's like there are people who experience terrible, terrible things through uh, COVID and who are still doing their best to recover. And so I've just been really dismayed at the number of people who are like, well, well, evil, happen. and I have, I've talked about this even on my LinkedIn and just looking for jobs and having people who question about why there were gaps in the resume during COVID, my mother during COVID. So that was a time where, yeah, a, a job was not the priority of my life. And it's like, so there, and, and I was very fortunate that I was able to work through most of COVID, but there were people who were not. And there were thousands of people that were displaced during COVID that still are unhoused. And it's just really been very scary and very sad to realize that there is not, there, there's a very much a willingness to work with the nonprofits, to work with the property management, to work with the developers. Um, our mayor is very quick to rub shoulders with developers to encourage more building and more growth. But at the same time, everyone is willing to kind of turn an eye to ignore the results of that growth. And to, to, to ignore the, the, the imbalance that has been created because it's needed fast as we're growing and building the city is as fast as we're ignoring the people that are getting pulled under by the undertow. And I know that we say a lot about there just needs to be more money that's just thrown at housing, more money thrown at shelters. But people don't live in, people can't live in a shelter. People need a home in order to be housed. And I've talked to people, I've talked to people who say, well, you know, they fell on hard times, they need a shelter. But you've got to ask yourself, if you fell on hard times during COVID, if you had a friend, a family member, a parent that fell on hard times during COVID, would you suggest that they go put themselves in a program for 18 months uh, to learn how to be rehoused? Or would you prefer they get help to actually get in a home and have a roof over their head? And I think that a lot of times people don't actually understand the intricacies of being homeless or being unhoused. So they really believe that, well, if I just get, I gave this money to this nonprofit, why are people still complaining about being homeless? And it's like, because that's not how the money is dispersed or it's not how it trickles down. 
I am currently, I have a, a fundraiser right now where I'm asking uh, literally. So if you want to donate, definitely there's a link in the comments. But um, even just for help, like for me, I'm doing a little bit better than most. I don't have drug problems. I don't uh, drink or anything like that. I do, um, I love my cigarette and I am a coffee drinker. But I do have it a little bit better than most because I was working remotely. I lost my job because I was unable to communicate with anybody for days when I lost my phone and when my iMac was stolen. But I still have the opportunity. I'm able to hug next to the Starbucks and get Wi-Fi enough to try and bid on freelancer jobs. So I'm at a point where if I can get into an Airbnb and continue working, then I might be able to keep my head above water. And it's like, but that's for somebody who kind of had a plan before all of this happened. But I just, I'm so concerned about this invisible population. And I'm, I'm, and I'm really concerned that we're not doing enough. You can throw money at a problem, but if you're throwing the money in the wrong direction, then it, it, how, how easy is it to solve the problem? It becomes very difficult to solve the problem if you're throwing the money in the wrong direction. I'm sitting up here now, and there's a truck going by me that says fighting hunger and supporting local food banks. And it's actually uh, Feeding America, Bringing Hope to the Table, King Supers, and City Market in conjunction. And it's a long truck that is going around that's literally trying to get um, produce to help fight hunger. But it's, 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 we've gotten to a point where it's way too normal. We've gotten to a point where people going without, people suffering, people struggling, it would be too normal and way too easy for us to turn our heads and to pretend like we don't see it. And so I just, I wonder where we're going with this. For every new home or for every half a million dollar home that is sold. Um, can we get two people in an apartment for 1500 a month? It just seems to me that the millions of dollars that are being allotted to homeless shelters and to temporary housing was, does not solve a long-term problem when you have temporary anything. And it's like, but that money, it's like, how many people could you get into an apartment? Like I said, I have called multiple apartment complexes that have more than half of their apartment complex is empty inventory. But they still would rather it be empty than to rent to certain people. So what happens if we take those millions of dollars that have been allotted for temporary housing? And what if we put those people, we pay rent and deposit to get people into apartments? What if we take that money and we work with developers and property managers to, um, if necessary, pay a, a, for an extra deposit or for a co-signer for people who have had eviction? Um, one of the um, solutions that I've seen is Jetty Deposit. Jetty has a really incredible program. It works directly with the leasing um, office of apartment complex, but someone can pay a smaller amount for a deposit that allows them to pay that deposit kind of back in a smaller monthly payment each month. That's a viable option for somebody who's trying to get into an apartment if they had to pay a deposit or had to pay for a co-signer. There are options that are out there and it just makes me wonder why are we ignoring those?
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Courtney Jones, and you've been listening to Straight from the Hip with Courtney, the podcast that brings it <laughs> straight, it brings it raw with a little side eye at um, just what's going on in the world and how to deal with the up, down, and in between of living life and building a business in a digital world. I'm Courtney, and if you enjoyed listening to this ad-free episode and you'd like to donate to continue uh, helping support the show, then please, by all means, don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. You can hit the, if you're on Anchor, then you can hit the um, subscribe as well as leave a voice note if you have any questions or comments. Again, if you'd like to uh, support the show, we have listener support. There's a link. Also, if you'd like to support directly, you can go to paypal.me forward slash Ms. Courtney Jones. That's Miss Courtney Jones, and that's at PayPal.me. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Courtney, and you are awesome. So go be it. Peace.